Can we pray again? Is it okay if we pray twice in a row? Is that okay? To continue that, that profound sense of worship that our worship team has just led us in, Lord, I'm reminded that you told the prophet as, as he looked over the valley of dry bones and you asked him, tell me, can these bones live? And as we would probably do ourselves, he said, well, you know the answer to that, Lord. And we know how the story goes because there was a, a rattling, a sound that moved across the valley of dry bones as the bones all came together. You indeed can make the dry bones live. And then you called on the wind, you called on the spirit to give them the breath of life. We know that that's a reference to your gathering of Israel, and we praise you for your work with Israel and your promises fulfilled in Israel, that you would gather them together and that you would bring life. But we take that as a blessing for ourselves as well, that you can make the dry bones live. So Lord, we're here today to praise your holy name, to lift up your name, to give you the value and the honor and the glory that you so richly deserve. But we're also here because we need a, a fresh word of your grace. We need a fresh, fresh wind of your spirit to blow through our lives. We need that daily. And so we're here today at your throne because we have the privilege to call you Daddy and say, Daddy, we recognize your love for us and we're so dependent on your, your strength, your power, your grace, your truth to move in our lives. So we'll stay here in your presence as you speak to us this morning. And our hearts will be open, yielded to you, that you might speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We'll pray in the name of Jesus. We'll pray with absolute confidence. Amen. Amen. Well, next Sunday we're going to focus on the 4th of July, the birth of the United States, and uh, we'll, we'll be looking at God's work with the nations in, in the end of the age. For today, we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to actually have part two of our, our prayer um, from Matthew 6. Jesus is teaching on prayer and, and the, Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to cover all of the Lord's Prayer today. So I hope you brought a lunch with you. By the way, <clears throat> Ron is going to lead the, the BBS in, in shooting off rockets this summer. Is it, do I, am I getting that right? Yeah? That's going to be great fun. So do we get to blow up anything during VBS? Okay, sorry. Sorry, I just think it's really fun. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> There's law enforcement in the room. By the way, where is Officer Duzan? Is he here? Where is he? He just stepped out. He's probably doing a walk through the parking lot. Did you know that we do that? We keep an eye on your cars. When you see him this morning, 
uh, thank him for saving someone's life at the golf tournament last week. Did you read about the heart attack? And the person died three times. And our own officer, Duzan, was doing CPR and brought him back every time. So, and apparently the man went to the hospital, had a surgery, and he's doing great today. So we can thank our officer, Duzan, for being Johnny on the spot with that. So there he is right there. Mike, I don't know if I got that story right, but it was a good story, so yeah, I, it, was, it was pretty close. It was pretty close. This morning, I thought as if we all needed, a, we all need a, a, an encouragement with prayer from time to time, and I, I just think it's, it's Fourth of July week, and I, I wanted to look for a, a, a prayer, an answer to prayer that, is, that has to do with, with the battlefield, and so... It's going to take a few minutes, but let's, let's look at this one answer to prayer that I think is, is quite amazing. When the, when the chaplain of Patton's army answered the phone one day, it's the third army, he was surprised to hear the, the voice of General Patton himself. And he said, this is, this is General Patton. Do you have a good prayer for weather? We have to do something about the rain if we're going to win the war. Rain was constant. It was... It was and mist and fog, and it was wet all the time, and big issue. And he's, do you have a prayer for rain? The, pra- the chaplain didn't have a prayer for rain right off the bat, right offhand, but he assured the general that he would find something in the next hour. So he looked all through his prayer books. He didn't find any prayers for rain, and he, he, so he drafted his own prayer for a cessation of rain along the front in France. He printed it on a three-by-five card, and I think you can see the prayer on the screen. He printed it on a three-by-five card, and then he took it to General Patton and showed it to him. And the general was, was impressed with the prayer, and he thought, this is the prayer that we need to be praying. And he, and he ordered 250,000 copies of it printed right then and there and distributed to all of his men. But Patton wanted more conversation with the chaplain, and he posed the question, how much praying is being done in the Third Army today? The chaplain, chaplain's answer wasn't very hopeful. He didn't think there was much praying going on, even among the chaplains. In battle, everyone prays. But in the silence, in the quiet, and in the unrelenting rain that just had everyone's spirits down, prayer didn't come easy. And he made this statement. The chaplain said this, we are far from the praying places with steeples. Patton sat for a while, and then then he continued on in the discussion with the chaplain. He said, chaplain, I'm a strong believer in prayer. There are three ways that men get what they want, by planning, by working, and by praying. Any great military operation takes careful planning or thinking. And then you have to have well-trained troops to carry it out. That's working. But between the plan and the operation, there's always an unknown, and that unknown spells defeat or victory. It spells success or failure. It's the reaction of the actors to the ordeal when it actually comes. Some people call that getting the brakes. I call it God. God has his part or margin in everything. 
That's where prayer comes in. Up to now in the Third Army, God has been very good to us. We have never retreated. We have suffered no defeats, no famine, no epidemics. This is because a lot of people back home are praying for us. We were lucky in Africa, in Sicily, and in Italy, simply because people prayed. But we have to pray for ourselves, too. A good soldier is not made merely by making him think and work. There's something in every soldier that goes deeper than thinking or working. It's his guts. It's something that he has built in there. It's, it's a world of truth and power that is higher than himself. Great living is not all output of thought and work. A man has to have intake as well. I don't know what you call it, but I call it religion, prayer, God. So Patton urged the chaplain to draft a, a training letter, a training memo to each of his commanders and each of his units. And it became known as Patton's Prayer. I can't read the whole thing. It's, it's, it's quite lengthy. But here's a part of what the chaplain wrote on Patton's behalf, and, and Patton signed the training letter. He wrote this. As chaplains, this went out to everybody in the Third Army. As chaplains, it is our business to pray. We preach its importance. We urge its practice. But the time is now to intensify our faith in prayer, not alone with, our, not alone with ourselves, but with every believing man, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, or Christian in the ranks of the Third United States Army. Listen to this. Those who pray do more for the world than those who fight. And if the world goes from bad to worse, it is because there are more battles than there are prayers. Hands lifted up, and he quoted Bousset. Hands lifted up smash more battalions than hands that strike. Gideon of Bible fame was, was least in his father's house. He came from Israel's smallest tribe, but he was a mighty man of valor. His strength lay not in his military might, but in recognition of, his, of God's proper claims upon his life. He reduced his army from, from 32,000 to 300 men, lest the people of Israel would think that their valor had saved them. We have no intention to reduce our vast striking force, but we must urge, instruct, and indoctrinate every fighting man to pray as well as fight. In Gideon's day and in our own, spiritually alert minorities carry the burdens and bring the victories. He goes on, urge all of your men to pray, not alone in church, but everywhere. Pray when you're driving, pray when you're fighting, pray alone, pray with others, pray by night and pray by day. Pray for the cessation of immoderate rains, for good weather, for battle. Pray for the defeat of our wicked enemy whose banner is injustice and whose good is oppression. Pray for victory, pray for our army and pray for peace. We must march together, all out for God. Now is not the time to follow God from afar off. This army needs the assurance and the faith that God is with us. With prayer, we cannot fail. Soon after that training memo was released, 
And I would urge you to go read the whole thing. It is really something. It's called, just Google Patton's Prayer and you'll find it. Soon after that training memo on prayer was released, the battle raged in France and with the Third Army full on, face on. Under the cover of fog and rain and lousy, lousy weather, the Nazis staged a surprise attack and they strongly pushed back the troops in France. The Third Army fought valiantly and they barely held back the Nazi onslaught. But soon, in a way that surprised even the meteorologists, the weather cleared and the Nazis lost the element of surprise in the cover of bad weather. And when the, when the skies cleared, hundreds and thousands of Allied airplanes came in and destroyed tank after tank and lots of soldiers. And the battle was turned. The battle was won and France was taken. A few weeks later, a few weeks later, Patton saw the chaplain, the chaplain saw Patton in Luxembourg. And Patton turned to the chaplain and said, Padre, our prayers worked. Our prayers worked. Patton prayed for clear weather and he got it. Jesus said, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Patton trusted that truth, and it shaped the war in France. God did indeed move mountains. What, what do you think? Is that a good testimony? Is that an encouragement for prayer? We all need encouragements for prayer, don't we? We all need testimonies like that. The testimonies of God doing remarkable, unexplainable, impossible things for us in answer to our prayers. We all need that encouragement. I have some quotes that I'd like to share with you this morning. I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right, but it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation may be on the Lord's side, said Abraham Lincoln. True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth, Charles Spurgeon. The prayer offered to God in the morning during your quiet time is the key that unlocks the door of the day. Any athlete knows that it is the start that ensures a good finish, Adrian Rogers. Billy Graham said, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. E.M. Bounds said this, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. And finally, Billy Graham said, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me, says Billy Graham. I preached on discouragement once in a family Family got really mad at me because they said Christians should never get discouraged. I disagreed with them. So I'm really glad that Billy Graham showed signs of discouragement once in a while too. And along with the Apostle Paul, I think Christians, even Christians who are filled with the Spirit, have times of feeling discouraged. We all need testimonies that show the power of God, the grace of God, the love of God. As we saw last week, Jesus was concerned that we understand prayer 
in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he focused on ways not to pray, as we discussed last week, in, including not to pray like the hypocrites and not to pray, pray like the Gentiles who love to heap up empty phrases, lots of words, lengthy prayers. But we'll see today that Jesus didn't leave it on the negative. He moves on in his teaching to show us what it is to pray in a way that pleases God. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's more aptly called the Disciples' Prayer because he was teaching the disciples how to pray. Now, we'd all love to have the confidence in prayer that Patton showed in France. We'd all love to see that kind of power when we pray. But I think if we were really sincere with ourselves, we would all confess that many of us get lost in the idea not knowing exactly how to pray or what to pray. For something that appears so simple to us, talking to God, prayer gets downright confusing at times. Like the disciples who asked the Lord to teach them to pray, we need help in both understanding what prayer is and how to do it. And that's where we got the Lord's Prayer. That's exactly what Jesus taught his disciples. And that's what I'd like to look at today. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Let me read. I'll include what we, what we talked about last week, and then it moves into the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And here's, here's our text for today. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then it's added on here, verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So my goal this morning is to encourage you in your prayer life and to give you a tool to use when you pray. The Lord Jesus offered up this prayer, this outline, when his disciples asked him, asked him to show them how to pray. If we want a prayer life that is pleasing to God, we need to follow this outline. This outline will help us to get there. It comes from the very heart of Jesus. The whole books and sermon series are dedicated to these few verses. I'd love to, to stretch this out, and, and we could easily make it in several weeks sermon series and take each one of these points apart. We can't hope to plumb the depths of this today, but my hope is, my prayer is, my goal is that I'll give you a little taste of the Lord's Prayer and hopefully spur you on to your own study and experience of this passage. So I provided a simple outline of this in your notes today. It's on the back side. That outline is from the book, 
praying the Lord's Prayer for Spiritual Breakthrough by Elmer Towns. So I'd like to simply walk through that outline today, and we'll stop and we'll, at, at key points. We can't cover it all, but we'll stop along the way and we'll, we'll make some observations. And then I'm hoping to have some time for prayer at the end. Let's start at the beginning. And this isn't in your notes. Elmer Towns didn't include this in his outline, but, but uh, here it is. Our Father who art in heaven. Let me ask you a question. How many names does God go by? I, I'm asking you. How, give me some examples. 48? 248. Bill had an answer for that. I didn't even have an answer for that. Give me some examples. Out of 248, we surely can come up with a few. Almighty, El Shaddai, which means Adonai, Elohim, Creator, Yahweh, Shepherd, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Truth, capital T, keep going, Emmanuel, I am, all capital letters, I am. God, Jehovah Jireh, Yeshua, Provider, Protector, I didn't hear the one back here. Savior, Redeemer. Okay, okay, that's enough. I know you got more. Are you, are you, are you reading them out of the back of the book? Ah, okay, good, okay. <laughs> I won't repeat that, Bill. Well, we were on, well on our way to the 248, weren't we? God goes by a lot of names. But all through his ministry, Jesus draws attention to this one name. Father. He didn't do anything without consulting his father. He didn't go anywhere that the father didn't lead him. He sought to reveal his father to his disciples. He prayed in John 17 that his disciples would be one with him and with his father and would enjoy the unity that the father and he shared together. By using the title, Father, Jesus was telling us that we have the privilege of coming into the presence of God. We have the privilege of an intimacy that's reserved only for the closest of relationships. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people didn't know God in this way. I'm reminded in, in Exodus when, when, Jesus, when God appeared on the mountain and was going to give the Ten Commandments to his people, and he, he wanted the people to draw near. He said, don't touch the mountain, but draw near so that you can hear my voice. And they were so frightened, they were so terrified of his presence. And, and frankly, I don't blame them with the thunder and the lightning, and God could have come in a little more graciously probably. But God came as almighty. God came as all-powerful, creator ruler, he who reigns over all things for the Jewish people, came as king. And so when Jesus came on the scene, he began to call his father, our father. Romans 8, verses 15 to 16 say that we, because salvation is fall, because salvation comes from Jesus, 
through Jesus Christ, we have the privilege to call God what? Help me out. Abba, which means daddy. That's an intimate relationship. That's the picture of a child sitting on the lap of a father. I remember flying to Amsterdam one time, and um, there was a Jewish family on the airplane, and the, and the little boy kept saying, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. And that just drove home this idea. We can know that we are his children with all the privileges that come from that kind of an intimate relationship. At the same time, when we recognize him as our Father who is in heaven, we recognize that he is wholly other. He's distinct from us. He's above us. He's, he's over all things. He is wholly other. So while we have this intimate relationship with our Father, at the same time when we say he's in heaven, we recognize that he is someone completely distinct from us. We recognize his kingship and his rulership. So we're not physically transported into heaven when we pray, but we are drawn into the heart of God. We begin to see life. We begin to see the issues of life. We begin to see our petitions in prayer through his eternal nature, through his truth, through his power, through his grace. In prayer with our Father in heaven, we take on eternity. We take on his person. We become one with our Father in heaven. We become transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, his Son, our Lord. By acknowledging his eternal nature, we put God in his rightful place of reigning over us, our Father who is in heaven. And then you'll see in your outline there that the next group of, of petitions are the thy petitions. And it's all about praying for God's glory. The first petition is focused on who God is and what he's doing and how to give him the glory that's due to him and him alone. Let's look at it. Hallowed be your name. That's, that's in verse 9, the last part of verse 9. Holy is your name. So what's in a name? We've already listed off a whole long list of names. I think today we've lost the significance of names. We don't necessarily put the weight of meaning behind names that we give to one another. But that wasn't so in the Jewish culture of the, both the Old and the New Testament. A name was given to describe that person. When we make God's name holy, we set it apart, we're attributing, attributing to him the characteristics of who he is. We've just listed off lots of names for God. Elohim means creator. Yahweh means one who keeps his covenant. Adonai means master or Lord. El simply means God. In Scripture, it's used as a prefix for other names. We mentioned some of them earlier. El-Rohi, which is one of my favorites, means the God who sees. That's the name he gave to Hagar in the wilderness when she was completely set apart from people and completely lost. He described himself as the God who sees her in her loneliness. El Shaddai means almighty or one who is seen in his mighty deeds, his mighty acts. There's a, there's a sense of, of terror that goes with that. 
When Moses asked God how to respond when people asked his name, God responded with, we said it earlier, I am the Holy One, the Eternal One. I love that idea. When, when he revealed that name to Moses, it was like, I am immovable, I am eternal, I am, I am God, and you need to work around me, not me work around you. I am. I am. Hebrew scribes, when they wrote out the scriptures, had to go through a cleansing ritual before they could write the name of God. They wouldn't even write his name. They took out all the vowels so as not to say his holy name. When they did write his name, they used a brand new pen to write it. When they were done writing his name, they destroyed the pen so that the pen would never be used again. When we say holy is your name, we're setting, a God, we're setting God apart from any other. There is no one like him. We call out his particular characteristics, who he is as a person, as God. We're submitting ourselves to who he is. And one of the, one of the images I have in my, in my thoughts as we look at this is Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6, a familiar passage, I hope, for all of you. Isaiah said he was transported into the presence of God, into the very throne room of God, and he saw God high and lifted up, and he saw the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim. And what was his response? He saw God for all that he was, in all of his holiness, all of his splendor, all of his majesty. And what was, what was the response of Isaiah? He fell on his face, and he said, woe is me. That's the posture of prayer. I see God in all of his holiness. I see God for who he is. And when we use his names, when we pray his names, we enter into worship. I don't know if you caught it this morning, but I was a little sensitive to it in our worship songs. I'd love to go back, especially the song Jesus that we sang. I'd love to go back through there and count all the names that were listed in that song. I don't know if you caught that or not. Part of our worship is calling on the names of God and using because the names of God, each of them distinct, call out another characteristic of who God is. When we begin our prayers by calling out his name, our prayer becomes worship. A meditation of his name will take us deep into his heart, and we begin to see ourselves in relationship to who he is. The next idea is thy kingdom come. We've talked before about how the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God, what it means to live in the kingdom of God, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. So now he's saying thy kingdom come. And we've seen that the, the kingdom of God, the idea of the kingdom of God was present when Jesus was in his ministry, when Jesus was walking among his disciples, walking among the people. He said the kingdom of God is here. And yet we've also seen that when Jesus talked about the kingdom, and even in the Old Testament, many passages refer to the kingdom that is about to come, the future promise and the future hope of the kingdom. The idea of the kingdom refers to his perfect rule over all things, over all the nations, and his rule over each one of us. So when I ask for his kingdom, I'm inviting his perfect rule and reign in my life. I'm submitting to who Jesus is. Thy kingdom come. And then when I, when I, when I submit myself to him, when I, when I ask for his kingdom to come, I also 
put my circumstances and my petitions and my, and my issues before him, and I say, God, take these and let your kingdom reign over them. Not my will be done, but yours, which is the next phrase. They, the two go hand in hand. When I say thy kingdom come, I'm asking for his perfect rule. I'm asking for his perfect reign. I'm asking for his truth. I'm asking for everything about him to come and take over my life. And then the follow-on to that is thy will be done. See, along with praying for the kingdom, we seek his will. And that puts me in, a, in an, an act of submission to what God desires and to what he's doing in my life, what he's doing in the world. My heart, my heart, my thoughts, my mind, my life is all lined up with him when I say, your will be done. Your will be done. God, I put myself aside. And of course, of course, Jesus himself prayed that prayer, not my will, but yours in the garden as he faced the cross. And you'll see in the outline that the next phrase, as it, on earth as it is in heaven, is a, Towns calls it a semi-conclusion, a partial conclusion as we go through, a, through the Lord's Prayer. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And listen to this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The response of Peter was a recognition of who Jesus was, that he is God. Jesus said he could only know that because God revealed it to him. So this first, this first part of the prayer is, is entering into who God is. It's yielding ourselves to those truths. It's lifting up God on his holy throne. And following that revelation, Jesus promised the keys of the kingdom. You see, when our prayer begins with worship, it unleashes God's work in our lives. We walk not only in new light and life, but we enter into the authority of the kingdom and his work in our lives. We enter into that authority. That's a whole other sermon series. That, that, just that sentence that I just said, we enter into that authority. But brothers and sisters, when we ask for the kingdom of God to come, we're saying, I line myself up with what God wants, and I'm walking in that authority. And I, I don't think we understand that. I don't think we walk in that authority the way God is calling us to do. And then the hinge verse, going back to Matthew chapter 6, Give us this day our daily bread.
verse 11. So prayer begins with worship, and we need to enter into worship as we pray. But it doesn't end there. Sometimes we think, we think that prayer is all about our daily needs. And I, I'm struck as I look at the outline of the Lord's Prayer that the, the, our daily needs is just one part. I don't know percentages exactly, but it's just one part of the entire outline of prayer. But that's not to say that our daily needs aren't important. We go on just right over in, in chapter 6, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 32 of chapter 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God knows our needs. God knows them before we even speak them. So it's okay to pray for our daily needs. <coughs> daily bread indicates the sustenance of life, the very foundation stones of life. But the idea of daily bread also includes not only the things that sustain our life, the things that we need daily, the things that, that we ask for God to provide for us, but it also goes on all the things that we need to pray for in other ways as well. When someone comes to you and says, would you pray for me? When you say to someone, would you pray for me? That all goes on the list, and it goes in this category. Give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes people keep a journal of their prayer requests, and they keep a list of those things. I pray for my kids, for my grandkids. I pray for, for my pastor. I pray for our missionaries. I pray for my, my extended family. I pray for my, my aunt who doesn't know Jesus. I pray for my uncle who just goes on and on. The things that the Lord brings to mind, we pray for our daily bread. I'm going to skip ahead. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. This idea of forgiveness, and one author that I was reading said that when he prays the Lord's Prayer, he starts with this. He starts here. So important is the idea of forgiveness. So, I, so important is the idea that we are not to let our relationships clog up our heart and clog up our relationship with God. Hebrews tells us that we're not to let a root of bitterness develop in us. We're not supposed to let it sit and simmer. We're not supposed to let unforgiveness just keep, just kind of keep needling us and keep working us and keep growing that bitterness in our hearts. So Jesus says in the outline, he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So it's a vertical relationship. I need you to forgive my sins. I, I, I come to you, Lord Jesus, in the forgiveness that's offered through your salvation. And I place myself completely in his salvation knowing that my sins are forgiven because of his completed work on the cross. According to 1, um, 1 John 1, 9, I, I, com I confess my sins, and he cleanses me from all unrighteousness. So there's an idea of confession going on in this vertical relationship. But then he adds the tag onto it, which none of us like, as we forgive our debtors. Now let me ask you this. Can you go home today? Can you take your sermon notes out? And write down all those, all those people that you have a spirit of unforgiveness with. And as we sit here and we read this passage, that list is pretty empty. And I would submit it's probably blank for most of us. But it's not blank in God's book. So concerned is he that we let this forgiveness flow through that he adds on the additional teaching at the end. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, it's been preached that you'll lose your salvation if you don't forgive others. Somebody help me. What's wrong with that idea? What's wrong with that idea? It makes salvation conditional, doesn't it? And we know that salvation is by grace and grace alone, and we know that salvation is, is by God's hand, by God's mercy, by God's sacrifice for us. It's all God's work. I am not saved by anything that I did. In fact, he describes anything that I might bring to that equation as filthy, stinking rags. I think I added the stinking part. So he's not saying here that your salvation is conditioned upon whether you forgive or not. I, I, look, at it as, I look at our hearts and our lives as, as a free-flowing pipe. And what happens when we don't forgive is that pipe starts to get clogged up. And the forgiveness of God can't flow into my life if I'm not letting it flow out of my life into the relationships with other people. Jesus is saying, you know what? That, that forgiveness, that flow of forgiveness is going to slow down and it's not going to take root in your life if you don't forgive other people. It's meant to be a pass-through blessing. Newsflash, all of his blessings are meant to be passed through. But Jesus takes the time to underline this, to emphasize this. Forgiveness is an issue. I've been struggling with it myself lately, and I realize if I make a list of forgiveness, uh, forgiveness issues in my life, and I've, I've told you before, I'm, I'm a champion at forgiveness. I've read all about it. I know what Scripture says about it. I've studied it. I've wrestled with it. And you know what? There are, this week, I just realized there, there are still names on my list. I thought I was there, but I still have a few names, and I'm thinking of contacting some of them. But the problem with the forgiveness list that we have is that we look at it, and if it's not empty, if there indeed are names on it, if we recognize that there are issues of unforgiveness in our life, what do we say? What's the natural response? And I've had people say this to me, it's no big I don't want you to say it to me right now, but if you're, if you're honest in the depths of your heart, you have a thousand reasons why you don't need to deal with that issue. And Jesus says, you're coming to pray? You're coming to worship? Right here. Forgiveness. Now, we don't just run off don't just run off because there may be situations where it's, it's not appropriate to pursue someone. But I think that list is, is not as long as we think it is. That's why you should always seek counsel before you go run off and do something major in this category to make sure that you're following the Spirit. But the principle and the truth still stands. Forgiveness. Boy, we could spend a lot of time in the Lord's Prayer. And I hope, I hope that we just give you a little taste of what the depth of this outline is. Some people, I, the, the book that Elmer Towns wrote that I, that I used the outline out of, 
He uses that as an outline of prayer every day. So we talked last week about not using repetitive prayer, right? The, uh, the Lord's Prayer is not say the, say the prayer 10 times and you'll be absolved. doesn't work. But you can use it as an outline during the day. Uh, Elmer Towns would, would say, before you even get out of bed, recite the Lord's Prayer and line your heart and your life up with God. And then as the day goes on, take, take certain, certain petitions out of the Lord's Prayer and, and pray on them. And like Patton said, pray when you're driving, pray when you're alone, pray when you're with somebody, pray when you're at church, and pray when you're on the battlefield. This is a great outline to do it with. Jesus did not give this to us as a repetitive prayer. He gave it to us as a model for prayer. Worship, seek our own needs, and then we didn't even get to the us parts except for the forgiveness part. We didn't even get to the us statements. Oh, man, there's a world inside of those. So I would encourage you to take the Lord's Prayer with you this week and go deeper with it. You'll notice in the sermon notes this morning, I put some verses under each one of the phrases, under each one of the petitions. Okay? Those, I put those in there to help you. And so when you come to each one of those phrases, I gave you some of those verses so that you could look them up and they would, they would help you get inside of that petition. Okay? They're, it's not an exhaustive list, of course. Of course it's not. Just, here's just a little Bible study tool, or a little tool to help you remember some things. And that is, when you come across a petition like, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, or kingdom come, any one of those, and you build those out, take, take each one of those thoughts and build them out with scriptures that support them. You'll, you'll find tons. Go to Blue Letter Bible online and just start doing a search. Every one of those ideas has one or two key passages that is foundational to that truth. So you don't have to, you don't have to memorize or remember where, where that truth is found in, in 15 different places. If you do, that's wonderful. Pick one passage. Make it the, the principal passage for that idea and drive it deep into your heart. And then begin to build from there. Okay? Let's take, let's take a couple minutes and do the first part. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you have some verses there. Let's just take two minutes and let's pray together. You don't have to close your eyes because you need to read the verses a little bit, okay? Maybe someone could read out one of those verses. Maybe someone would offer up a prayer on one of those themes, one of those petitions. Let's pray that first part of the Lord's Prayer together. Does that make sense? Somebody say yes. Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray. Just take a minute, pray silently or pray out loud. But if you pray out loud, pray loud enough so we can all join in. Let's pray. Lord, we begin this, this, these couple of minutes just to experience further our worship of you this morning. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This we pray.
Thank you, Lord, for this teaching on prayer. May we follow your teaching. May we, be, may we go deeper and deeper into this outline, and may we de go deeper and deeper into these thoughts. And may our worship become even more profound. May the power of our prayers be, be seen as your Holy Spirit moves. And Lord Jesus, as we, as, we, as we get into the rhythm of this, may we pray more often, pray more diligently, pray with more authority. And Lord Jesus, may we see you move more and more in our lives and in the world around us. So take this teaching and drive it deep into our hearts this week. We will praise your name, Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's close by, by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Maybe we don't need the script. I hope we don't need the script. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. On your way, rejoicing.